It's time to get chiseled with Rob Hamadari. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Chiseled. And why do we call it Chiseled? Because we're all work in progress. Again, I'm Rob Commodore. I'm your host. I'm also the author of Better Than You Think. And most recently, I was in a book, Next Level Your Life, with a uh, collaboration of 44 other authors who was headed, who was headed by Kyle Wilson. But today, I have a special guest on my show, and he's not a realtor. And most, a lot of guests are realtors. And his name is Jim DiCarlo. He's a dynamic executive with a proven experience in building, growing, restructuring, and improving the performance of a company known as a, a C-suite leader. His call is to focus on leadership, on a mission to serve others by helping them find more life, more control, and overall increased enterprise value. little local flavor coming here today from Ellicott City, Maryland. He graduated from Towson State University. He was captain of the cross team, which we're going to get into because it took him on a journey, which we'll discuss in a little bit. He played indoor professional cross before relocating to the Aussie country of Australia where he found his wife, Anne, or married his wife, Anne, and then he returned to the United States. So we're going to get into that, too. Jim is first and foremost a father of four and a husband to his wife, Anne, for more than 25 years, which is awesome. I've, I'm in that club, too, 26 years for me. And yeah. I am looking forward to talking to Jim today. And, Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Rob. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to be here. One of our collective friends uh, was, I think, one of your first podcasts, uh, that was two years ago. So it's taken me two years to to convince you that there's a story here that we should, we should share. <laughs> but I think but, I had to convince you to come on. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So Mark I, I'm Cowan, chiseled. I mean, you, you're doing some really good things, Rob. You're bringing some neat voices. I, again, I'm, I'm humbled to be on, on this. You're bringing some really great voices and a message to the community. Your father, your real estate agent, you, you have a book, you've published, you, 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 you got a podcast going. Uh, yeah, I'm honored to be here, man. Well, I'm, 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 thank you for that. I'm humbled to have you on here. And the purpose of getting Jim on here is he's had an extraordinary life, and it's been full of transitions. And we want to like package this theme around the transitions in business and life. And I mean, I just mentioned to you, he went from the United States to Australia and back to the United States. So, Jim, yeah. if you could, if you could share a little bit of like what you started sure. in Baltimore. And, and, and a little more local flavor, by the way, Jim's dad played football for the Baltimore Colts back in, in the 1950s. And I think he was part of that 1958 championship team. He was, Rob. Yeah, he was. He was. He was lucky enough to be part of the team in both 58 and 59 back-to-back -back championships, um, which is kind of part of the whole kind of the, part of the whole story. Um, you know, life has been has been pretty, pretty neat. And I would I would I'm blessed to call it a rich life. Um, you know, uh, it's been it's been an honor uh, to represent the U.S. over in Australia. It was an honor to be part of a family that was Baltimore history. Right. Uh, that was pretty neat. My father's Art DiCarlo and uh, he passed away a few years ago now, Rob. Um, he died. He was back. He was one of the first brains to go to Boston with CTE. So wow. um, and, and funny, you think about the arc of life and the transitions of life. I went to Australia to define who I am. Right to get out from underneath. I couldn't buy a I couldn't buy a pair of running shoes or cleats without giving them the credit card. And they said, "Oh, you, you are De Carlo's son, right?" So I, when I went to Australia, I got invited to play and, and coach over there. They paid for my airfare. They got me a, a job and, and actually paid for accommodation as well. So at 22, you don't think you don't think you, everyone's going. Everyone's taking that 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 opportunity. And that, that's when I met my wife and ended up staying for almost 24 years. 
Um, but the irony in the in the conversation is that I think the power and the love and the relationship and the family that I grew up in was so powerful. I was one of five kids uh, that that when I got opportunity to go to Australia, I realized no one knew me. No one knew my name. No one knew who John Unitas was or Lenny Moore, Raymond Barry or Art Donovan or, or, or Del Bracey. No one knew really the NFL. So um, that was a beginning of, well, who, who am I and how do I define who I am? Um, and that was a really neat, really neat start in my early 20s. Thank you for sharing that, because that leads me to the, the question of this transition piece. You, it sounds like you, one of the reasons for leaving, well, a couple of reasons, one, you left for lacrosse. That was, that was the precursor. True. That was yep. the, the trigger, let's just yep. say, to get you over there. Now you get over there and it sounds like it's almost, and correct me if I'm wrong, that, hey, I got to get, I want to get out of, from underneath this umbrella of somebody else's shadow being your dad and living Jim DiCarlo's life. Is That's that a right. fair assessment? That's exactly right. Uh, Rita, re, again, re, really redefine who I was. Uh, Back in the, I grew up in the 70s. I grew up, I went to college in the 80s. Um, um, lacrosse was my life. So good or bad, I used it as a tool for me to, to launch. Uh, but it also defined who I was in a lot of ways back in high school and college. I was that, I was that guy you just on the lacrosse team. I was, I was, uh, I was honored to be captain my, my senior year, uh, co-captain. Um, and then when I got recruited to play over in Australia, I jumped at it. Because it was, I needed fresh air. I needed to redefine who I was, and it wasn't this, this, just this lacrosse player who was graduating with a degree in marketing and communications. That's what I, that's what I had. Yeah. So we have a little bit in common, in some sense of the word. Obviously, yours was more dramatic. The first transition piece I want to talk about is, you, know, you geographically, you had to change the mindset. Was, I know as a 22 year old, it's probably exciting. I'm going to Australia. I'm playing lacrosse. That's really cool. But there's still a transition piece. What I recall for me, I left home in 1985. It was a fall of 85. Yep. And I had to drive 20 hours to Florida. So I left the home, family of seven kids, two-bedroom house. And so there was a transition for me. So I, I want to hear a little bit about your transition. Although mine was 20 hours drive time. Yours was 20 plus hours fly time. <laughs> true, true. But, but similar. I mean, really, Rob. And when, uh, you know, I'm a big believer that a home is not, a home is, a homes are meant to leave. Right. Home, homes are meant to be left and we're meant to grow. We stretch by getting out of our comfort zone. We stretch by by getting into new territory. And that can be emotional. That could be that could be physical. It's how the body grows physically. Um, and, and, you know, whether it's 20 hours on a flight or 20 hours driving, it's, it's the same. You are you're in new territory. Um, and when, when I was when I was in Australia, I, uh, I really had to come to grips with cultural differences as well. That was a big transition for me. You know, Aussies are far more relaxed than the Mid-Atlantic that we grew up in. Far more advanced, far more calm, uh, far more outdoors, outdoorsy, more, uh, more, more open dialogue, more conversations, more interaction between different. So the economic system was more homogenous. So um, you didn't have you didn't have what you get here, where, where you've got ultra high net worth and and private school systems that are that are outrageously expensive. And you get these this tiered system in Australia. You get you get a much more homogenous uh, economic environment. So neighborhoods are like think of America back in the fifties or sixties. You know, think of the Elvis Presley movies in Hawaii. That was Australia back in the eighties and early nineties. Uh, so that was pretty neat to get used to. Good stuff. So when I, I can, like I'm thinking back to my drive down there. So now I'm thinking about you. You're jumping on a plane. You're heading to Australia. You're 22 years old, and you're making this transition from the U.S. to Australia. 
However, I'm thinking, was there, and you're one of, you said four or five kids? I think five, five kids. Yeah, one of five. So you're leaving. You're leaving and you're going. You're leaving something special. You're leaving home. And you may be, you might be saying, like, I remember, man, I couldn't wait to get out of there. And I couldn't wait to get to Florida. But in the process, I went through a roller coaster of emotions. I was excited to leave. And then I was sad to leave. And I was excited yeah. to go someplace. And I was scared to go someplace. Did you yeah. experience something like that at all? Absolutely. I, I think we don't change in a linear fashion. I think we change, and that's in both in business and personal, we don't change linearly. We change through a curve, right? So there's a lot of emotions that go with that. We're made up of thousands of emotions that happen every, and we choose those emotions at any one point in time. Um, you know, um, um, yeah, anger, fear, deny, uh, excitement, sadness, acceptance, all of that is part of the downward curve. And then when you get through the other side, you start to develop plans and energies and initiatives and programs to actually achieve the next out level of outcome. But but I think that's 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 how the body works. I think it's how how life works. I think it's how um, I think it's how uh, growth and even an organization works. If you map any organization, you'll see a, you'll see a series of S curves in there. Um, and I think it's being aware. I became super aware uh, internally of of how I navigated that right um my family my mom and dad certainly were sad to see me go but at the same time they knew they knew that i needed to fly my wings were my wings were were, were, were stretched and it was time for me to get get going um, and if you got homesick you just couldn't drive home <laughs> no, this is back in the day you didn't have cell phones like you do today you don't you didn't have skype or zoom uh -huh. you know uh, I was writing letters to my to my mother and, and father uh, and my you know and even my grandparents back in the day, and they I assume they wrote some notes and letters back to you as well. Oh yeah, it was neat. Yeah, it was good old fashioned penmanship. We we yeah. we, we exchanged letters. We called once in a while, but it was yeah you know, four dollars and four dollars a minute. Collect so, call. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I was thinking about when I was in Florida. I we had the pay phones, which today's millennials or Generation Z don't even know what a payphone is. Right? Them. right, right. So, uh, but I remember my mom used to send me biblical quotes on, on three by five index cards, and I, I get like three a week. So she would constantly do that. It was so inspirational for me and That's to awesome. stay connected to your family. So let's jump into you're you're now in Australia. Yeah. And you've experienced that roller coaster of emotions from uh, Maryland or from the United States to Australia. And now you're you're you stayed in Australia, I think 23 years. 24 years. 24. 24. So mm -hmm. there, there had to be a transition at some point from okay from lacrosse to the, let's call it the real world of work. Yeah. yeah what absolutely. was that like? Yeah lacrosse was always just a hobby. It was kind of a part-time thing. It was my my platform to launch, but it was certainly a, a, a hobby. It was not highly paid. Um, I think that, you know, the, the challenge for me was where do I want to use the gifts and, and talents that God gave me? Where, where do I best fit it, it, when I think about, and you're supposed to figure all that in college, but I was still figuring out how to go to the, go, go to the goal in college um, <laughs> in lacrosse. So, so, but, but in Australia, I got an opportunity to try a number of different things. Um, and I ended up in I ended up in a really neat place in financial services. Um, and, and I say ended up because I think I think truly I was meant to land in this in this place. Financial services is a very noble industry. Financial planning, financial advisors, but many of them are called into this industry. And I've spent the last twenty five years or so, thirty years, actually serving them helping them think about how they grow, manage and create more value in their business, how they create a client experience that's repeatable, sustainable, 
transferable. These are really cool conversations to have with really smart people who go to work every day with their, not just their hearts and their minds, but their hands and their feet, right? So they bring all four components together to serve clients. Uh, and they some of them have built really beautiful businesses. I was able to take, um, I learned pretty quickly that I didn't know enough as a young guy. So I started to read everything. I engaged in a, into an MBA over in Australia. Um, I didn't get accepted, by the way. That's a whole other story. We probably don't have time for that one. Uh, but I got accepted. Uh, I, I got I got put on the waiting list. Um, so I went anyway. And they were like, what are you doing here, Mr. Girl? I'm like, well, I'm on the waiting list, so I'm coming to class. And they were like, you you haven't been accepted to the master's program. I'm like, well, what would that take? I'm, I'm here, and there are plenty of people who are not here. <laughs> and I just kept going. And eventually, the, the dean of admissions came to me and said, come. Um, we're going to enroll you. I've never seen anybody show up and do the work like you're doing. Um, that, then I met Anne and I moved, uh, I moved, uh, we moved a bit and, and that I had to defer the, the master. So I never finished my MBA. It's one of the biggest regrets I okay. had in my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it goes down as a, the big R, but it was fascinating to get in. I, I, I met a lot of people, learned a, learned a hell of a lot. Um, and, and, I, but I learned pretty quickly, all back to, I learned pretty quickly, what makes advisors tick? What makes advisors work really well? Why are some better than others? And then I, I just started to, you know, I started to understand that if I could help them think about how they run their business better, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a platform here for me. And that's been, that's been forever. So you said you ended up in financial services. So were, were you ever a financial planner yourself? No, no, I was in, um, I was in, so, so I needed a job and, uh, and NZI Life, New Zealand Insurance, um, had a role for an insurance broker and I applied. And after a number of interviews with an American accent uh, and, and receding hairline, I was able to, I was able to win the, win the job and I hated it. I just didn't. Well, in those days, insurance sales people, you know, it was who do you know? What family members do you know? What friends do you know? And I was, I was a sole American living in a small town. I didn't have networks like other people had. Um, so I did the next best thing. I, I realized they had a, a, a property funds management, retail funds management company. And I called the head of sales and said, I want to represent that and sell that product into advisors. And that that became that was the transition. I quickly moved out of life insurance sales and moved into wholesaling. I was wholesaling funds management products into the advisory industry. Okay. And then you did that. You were over in Australia for so many years. So how many years were you in the financial services business there in Australia before you transitioned over here to back to America? 22 years. So 22 years yeah. in that business. Two years lacrosse, 22 years of, of, of financial services. I worked for a lot of, a uh, couple of very large uh, financial technology firms. And that's what really did it. We were quite disruptive in changing the way financial planning was delivered to clients. And that was really, and so when you sell disruptive technology, you felt like Elon Musk selling the, the Tesla. When you're selling uh, disruptive technology, you've got to get people to think differently. You got to get people to, to, to get outside their comfort zone. That's both heart and and soul because you're talking to their wallet, you're talking to their business model, and we came up with some really disruptive technology. And I think that that really got me, got me, got me going, got me edgy with what does change look like? How do you drive change? And so I, when I think of change, I also think of transition, right? So yeah, you, so now you're there for 22 years doing that, and if you get the call, so to speak, to come back to America. 
So, what was that like? Yeah, so I so I ended up my career uh, my career um, in Australia ended as me as head of platform sales for one of the largest financial institutions in Southeast Asia, um, and it it uh, so I'd been there nine years um, as head of sales for platforms, um, and it got sold kind of overnight. Big deal, nineteen billion dollars it got sold for. And and the acquirer was uh, a, a large firm that had some money from Asia, China as well, and uh, and I knew uh, all the all the executives were going to go away, and and I shared this at Christmas time and we're at, at dinner with with everybody, and they were like, no, we're okay. I said, no, none of us will be here twelve months from now. So I put my hand up for a payout. I've been in nine years. They paid me out. I sold the house, and I said to my kids and my wife, we have two choices. We either sell the house and move to Sydney, or we sell the house and move to Baltimore. And everyone voted feet and hands Baltimore. Um, so we 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 burnt we burnt the boats, as they say, and we brought the entire. I re-immigrated back into my own country with six people, uh, 10, 11 years ago. That's great. And then, did, had the kids ever been here at all? Yeah, plenty of times. So I would uh, I would bring one over. We came over a few times as a family when everyone was small, little. But 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 I would every year I would bring one over. In Australia, you get I you know as an executive, I was getting four to six weeks of annual leave every every year. Hard to use that up, right? We're busy. We got we got things to do. We're people to change. <laughs> and uh, and I would bring one over every year. Uh, and so they got a chance to spend time with just dad and grandparents and 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 so forth so yeah they got to know america but i knew i was over in over over the tips of my skis when i'm on the flight and you know everything else is on a, on a ship coming across the atlantic coming across the pacific and and i'm paying and my daughter has change american change on the on the table and on the plane we're thirty-six thousand feet in the air she's like what's this <laughs> that's a dime she's like how much is that i go that's 10 cents she was well what's this i go that's a penny why is it bigger than a dime? That's <laughs> I'm like, great question. I don't know. Uh -huh. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so she had a hard time. All kids had a hard time because in Australia, the 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 denomination the of dollars is uh, is is by size as well. So fifty oh, cent okay. piece, twenty cent piece, ten cent piece, two cent piece. Everything's bigger than the premium. Everything's bigger. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. So, uh, Jim, now okay, now you're back in the United States, and now you're the chief growth chief growth officer of Wellspire Advisors, correct? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So when I came back, um, I, I, I knew the U.S. So talk about transitions, right? So, so in Australia, financial reform had come, had swept through the industry over in Australia and, and people were advisors had been doing things a certain way were in some ways displaced because that was now no longer the way to do it so they had to change and so again i was part of some of that early early stuff and then I, it happened in canada and the uk new zealand and so the only english-speaking country in the world that wasn't going through financial reform to make the game a lot safer and easier to play for like people like my parents and you and so forth um it, it was america and so when all this happened with the $19 billion sale, and I knew things were coming to, we were going to come to an end, I, um, I could see, uh, I think it's a gift that God, God gave, gave me, an ability to see around the corner a little bit. And I could see that the, the financial service industry in, us, in America was going to go through the same shape that we went through here. 
And, and, and so I didn't, you know, certainly don't want to be Bill Murray in Groundhog Day where I'm just repeating the past. I certainly don't believe in that. But I'm like, the U.S. financial planning, financial services industry is going to get going to change. It's going to consolidate. There's going to be some mergers and acquisitions that take place. I had experience like of that in Australia. Um, I think advisors are struggling with technology and, and change themselves. So maybe there's an opportunity to coach and do some, some, some servant leadership to, over there. Um, so that was part of my game plan. So when I came back, I just brought all that to life and I brought a, a ton of experiences <clears throat> that I'd had. And I came to a small firm here in Maryland called strategic wealth, um, partners. And that was called Stratwell. And, and they were, they were, they had, they were about 750 million in assets, which is a nice registered investment advisory firm. Uh, but they were flatlining. They had about 30 people in the company and they, I came into some consulting and they came back to me and said, can you run this thing? And uh, I said, yes, I can, but here's how this is going to work. And, and so I took over CEO and over, it took them 21 years to get to 750 million. It took us four years to get to 1.6 billion. So mm. we more than doubled the size of the business in 48 months. Um, and it took them 21 years to get to 750 million. Now, the question is, how did I do that? There was no spooky magic. There was no magic wand I waved. I just brought in a lot of the best practices that I was aware of, a lot of the transformational cultural changes that needed to take place. And I then just engaged in a transformation that changed the organization and just lit it on fire. People went to work um, and, and, and we blew it away. Um, and then I took that and said, let's go to th $3 billion. Let's double again. And the fourth founding partners were like, whoa, 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 that was exhausting. Um, so I said, well, let's go, let's go bring on a capital partner. And that's a long, another, another long story, but we ended up with Wellspire and we became Wellspire about two years ago. That's amazing. That's a great journey too. But in, in this process, did you have a, an aspiration to be a leader or did leadership just fall on your lap? Yeah, look, that's a good question, Rob. I, I think sometimes, sometimes, we know in our compass what our gifts and talents are, and sometimes we find it. Um, I think it's a bit of both for me. Um, I remember my son one day was like, was like, Dad, what, what do you do for a living? This is my son's Oscar at the time, he's about 10 years old. And I'm like, because well, uh, you know, if you don't get what I do, you kind of think I'm in the industry, so I must be a financial planner or a broker, right? I'm like, well, Oscar, let me tell you a story. And he's like, okay. He's looking up with curly hair and brown eyes. I say, I'll tell you a story. So uh, a, a man passes away and goes to heaven. And he's just arrived to heaven and at the pearly gates of St. Pete. And there's a whole crowd at the pearly gates. And he shows up kind of at the back of the crowd. And he's just in time for a tour that St. Pete's going to take him, take this group on. So he's happy he's in heaven. So that's the first thing. And he's excited. And, and so they go wandering along and, and as they're doing this, St. Pete's pointing out, you know, the harps over here and the clouds over here and the stuff over here. And, and there's this big gray building off to the left. And this gentleman in the back of the crowd who just arrived late, keeps looking over to the left, keeps looking over to the left. He's fascinated by the, by this big gray building that St. Pete's not talking about. And finally he trips up. He says, what's over there on the left? He says, oh, that's a building that no one's allowed in. And that was it. And they kept moving on. He thought, nah, not enough, not good enough for me. Bit of a recalcitrant, this young man who's now in heaven was. So he shoots off around the last cloud and sneaks over to the building, finds a side door and kicks it open, 
as he steps in, he's, he's in this massive, massive warehouse, 100 feet high, with shelving all the way up and as, as long as the eye could see. And all the shelves were filled with these bright white boxes, bright white boxes tied with beautiful red ribbons. And he realizes quickly, wow, these are alphabetical order. These are they have names on these. They have people. These are people. So he starts running down the, down, down, the, down the alley, finds his box, his name. He pauses, he reaches up, pulls it down gently so he doesn't disturb all the other boxes, unwraps the red ribbon and falls to his knees with a very loud guttural sound. And St. Pete comes in from behind the shadow because the light had come through, the sunshine had come through because he'd opened the door. And, and on his knees, he's crying. And on the floor is the box. And the box is open. And the ribbon is lying there. And St. Pete puts his hand on his shoulder. And he's crying heavily. And the crowd behind him who's followed St. Pete in goes, what's going on? What's, what's in the box? St. Pete turns to him and says, what's in the box are all the gifts, all the love, all the joy, all the wonder that you were allowed to have on life that you didn't live because you didn't live your fullest. Mm. Right? That's powerful. Uh, and I look back to my Oscar. And I said, I help people get stuff out of the box. That's what I do. Wow. And that shows up as leadership. It shows up, shows up as chief growth officer or CEO in my previous firm. Um, but I help people understand where purpose really lies and aligning their purpose with their actions. That's Jim, thanks for sharing, man. I, a little, I, got, I feel a little welled up right now. That's a powerful right, story. So it's a question I have for you then. What do you expect to see in your box? <laughs> there's a, there's a, so it's interesting you say that, right? Um, yeah, it's funny. You got to be brave to live, to, to empty the box. And to, and ironically, you got to be vulnerable to, to empty the box, right? Um, I, I think, I think that's the transition even I'm recognizing as I had to get to my late 50s and I can see 60 coming around right? Coming around the corner. I'm not going to say over the hill because at 72 and 82, I have things to do, right? right? So I got 20, 25 years left. If I blink, it's, I was 35 yesterday at 25 years ago. So now, now I've got a whole journey in front of me where I get to take all of the talents and the gifts uh, that I've kind of learned sometimes the hard way and find a way to reapply them, find a way to give them a microphone, find, find a way to give them a voice. I haven't answered that just yet, and I don't know how I'm going to do it. But the degree to which I can do it well and do it fully and do it with passion and do it vulnerably is the degree to which my box will be emptied. So that's the that's the hope that you have an empty box there. That's right. That's and right. would you would you agree that if your box is empty, that means you've pretty much, and I shouldn't say even pretty much, that means you've met the potential you were supposed to meet? No way. I think God never stops filling the box. Okay. I, I think when you get to a certain level, you, you get you get more to do and you get to the next level and you get another broader platform. You touch. I mean, look, we, we want to live altruistically. Right. And and I don't get a lot of excitement, energy going out to solve world hunger. I just don't never have. Right. I don't I don't I, I, I feel for the homeless and I feel for the poor and I feel for the marginalized and I feel for the dogs that are beaten and the. I get it. And there are pro people with cancer. We need to keep funding, investing and giving time and, and talents to that. But it doesn't speak to me. And I've right. always wondered, and this is like something I've learned in my in my 50s. Why, why hasn't that ever spoken to me? Why aren't I going painting people's houses there with, with church programs? I think I've been asked 
I think I've been asked. I know I have been asked. Altruistically, if you could make the world happier, would you? Yeah. Sure. All right. So I think I think there's what speaks to me about living an altruistic life is not solving world problems like hunger, but bringing happiness to other people, joy, love, contentment, right? And and given the fact that I'm now more sage than I ever was, um, I think I have the right to do that. And I pray that I have the ability to do that well. And that is bring happiness to others. How? Through ways and processes in which I bring people face to face with their purpose, their value, right? That that's powerful for me, but it's really all about love. Yeah, that's it's it's awesome. And you 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 made the comment that's other stuff doesn't speak to you, but this stuff does. So does. we all we all have, I guess, our place in life with pr- different purposes given to us by 100%, God. Hundred percent. And, and I would hope nobody looks down on the fact that that stuff doesn't speak to you, but this stuff does because you are putting happiness and joy and contentment in these other people who then may take care of the homeless, the poor, the, the, the Correct. sick. That's Correct. so it's Correct. It's Correct. where you are, right? Correct. And there's nothing wrong with being, say, um, have, you know, because <laughs> we're all that altruistic. We'd say, well, maybe I should just become a monk or a priest or maybe I go, right? But no, why don't I be the best scientist in the world and go solve cancer? Why can't I be the best politician and go solve water issues all around the country and the world, right? You can actually go and engage in, in an economic or political environment for the good of a greater world. And yeah. I I do that in my own little space, right? Yeah. I, th- I think you just gave, uh, as whoever's listening to this, I think you just gave tons of people permission to have that purpose other than the other things, which everybody thinks they should solve some kind of world problem. I think you just gave people permission to do that, which is great. Uh, I think people need to take agency over it. I think it's, it's because uh, we, because think about it, the media, social media, um, print media, it's all driven by all the charitable efforts in, that we get involved in. And I'm, 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 I'm involved, right? But they're always solving a problem that's, and that's good. Yeah. But I, but, but I get charged and, and I, my hope is that I can leave the world a better place on a, in a way in which I made people, I brought people joy, happiness, value, fun, growth, purpose, process. Yeah, there's a bit of industrialism in that, but people go to work every day, disengage with their business model. Why is that? Why is Gallup saying that people today are so disengaged with work? Like 32%, I think the last number was, of people are, are, are you know, are only 32% are happy with their with their job. Well, that's discontent at its highest. That means that means the economic value model of, of business, small and large, is missing the point. Right? We should be we should be bringing more life, more joy, more value. Capitalism was designed to put not just bread and butter on the table. But to actually share in the in the rewards of the growth of the business. So as the business grows, people are putting kids through college. As the business grows, people are able to retire properly, right? These are valuable components to what makes a business great. Uh, we're not units going to work every day. Uh, yeah, we are humans with hearts and souls, and that great businesses understand and are mindful and conscious around that. That takes a really unique level of leadership. Uh, and there are companies out there that are doing it, but sadly, most don't. They see it. They see it as a unit, and then it's, it's get to work. 
And thank you for sharing that. And what I heard there also is you you said you use the words it speaks to me. You don't get you get energy from what you're doing now. So that the idea if people are still looking or trying to find their purpose, what speaks to you? Find what makes your heart hum, whether it's solving a world problem or lead the yeah. company. Yeah. What what and when you when you feel that humming in your heart, it's a clue. It's definitely a clue that you're on to something. That's exactly right. And that takes silence. That takes Time with yourself, time in prayer. It takes. It takes. It also takes mindfulness around where do you get energy from, right? Where, where, what's turning you on? What's your playground, right? And my playground is working with people to drive better purpose processes and put uh, systems in place that actually allow that whole thing to to blow up and grow. And you know that. And you know that. I know that. Yeah, I know that. That, that's that's phenomenal. A lot of people go through life looking and looking and looking for that purpose and they can't find it. So thank you for sharing that, Jim. That's a, that's amazing. Earlier, you mentioned a word and I wanted to bring I want to bring us back to that. You said something about the arc of life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And can, can you talk a little more? Because I think all this this comes into play, this whole arc that you're talking about. Can you talk to me a little more specifically about this arc of life? Yeah. Um, hmm. We. We're born with one with one lifeline, right? And it starts it starts young, and there's an accumulation phase, and then you get to this 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 top peak, and somewhere in your mid fifties, and and some some people it's mid forties, or some people it's mid sixties, but somewhere around fifty five ish, you start to ask bigger questions, right? And it's a life when you're down here at the beginning of the arc. It's a life of, and I think you've had this conversation with others before, and I've ever heard it. You know, it's a life of survival. Right. You just find a job, get going, get get working, figure out, you know, how you're going to make a, as they say in Australia, how you're going to make a crust. Um, <laughs> so how are you going to make a crust? And then as you come through, you start to build a life of success. And too much of society is pulling all the time and pushing all the time. You know, ego, white picket fence, kids, um, doctor degree, uh, master's degree. Um, earn more, bigger title, new car, new house, grow, grow, grow. And we define it by this, like I call the first mountain. Uh, I'm stealing it from an author named David Brooks. But the first mountain is, is all of that. It's how do you climb this thing and get to a point where you're at where? You're at where? And no one ever asks, what's where? Yeah. And, and, then the, and then the arc starts to ask a really hard question. Who are you? You've got all this or you've done all this in varying degrees kids are launched uh dogs are fed um the car's got <laughs> gas in it and we were, uh, we're good now how, what what's the life of significance and and, and with ten thousand americans just in america alone turning 65 every day i think there's this huge opportunity to talk about what a life of significance means and how we redesign reinvent rejuvenate for that next 20 years of life or so, because longevity is here, right? Mm -hmm. um, longevity is certainly a, in play. Kids today, my children, if my daughter today, who's 24, had a child tomorrow, and she's not going to, but if she was married and had a child tomorrow, that child likely likely gonna live to 100, yeah. right? So yeah. we've got a long way to go to rethink about what it, what it, what it's meant to be after we've achieved our life of, of success. What does the life of significance mean? How does it show up? And that's a transition I'm actually in as, as well as I head to my late 50s. Well, that brings my next question. And you've kind of alluded to it and even said it to some degree. It's what does a life of significance mean to Jim DiCarlo at this point? Mm. Mm. 
You love these kinds of questions. It's putting me right on the spot. <laughs> uh, you serving others to make lives better is is the way I'd like to frame it. I have the heart of a lion with a passion to serve. I have the heart of a lion with a passion to serve. And serving others to, to make their lives better is how I go about that. Now, how does that show up? And right now, it's in my day-to-day -day at Wellspire as chief growth officer. Um, but as I transition and I think about it, you know, because we're, because we're, we're, you know, things keep, keep moving forward. I think it's about finding a way in which this vessel brings more love to a bigger community. Right? Mm -hmm. so, yep. I, you know, it's, it's one thing to say, yeah, hmm, joy and happiness and process, but, but, I think my next piece is around, um, well, it's kind of a continuation, helping organizations figure out how they really deliver on their value proposition where people matter first and foremost. Right? From a place of love. From a place of love. Yeah. And that takes real humility. And it's a very dangerous, vulnerable place for leaders to go. Go there. A dangerous, vulnerable place for leaders to go. Why is that? Um, so I'll give you an example. So uh, at, at, before we sold to Wellspire, we were 30 people deep and here, here's a simple example, right? Uh, I, I think we, we got there at Strat Wealth. Um, if I, if I can claim that, which is hard because it's a, always ongoing, right? And, and it sounds arrogant, but here's an example, right? So we have, we had a lady who was, who was widowed, um, and I'm the CEO, so I'm signing off on paychecks. I'm signing off on finances on a monthly or quarterly basis. And I notice that this widowed person is having her salary stipend by the government. And I'm thinking, what's going on? This person is important to us, right? But at the same time, I'm hearing some reviews and some whispers, not whispers. We had a much more open conversation, but I'm hearing I'm hearing data points that are saying she's not she's not doing her job the way she used to or as well as she used to. So I call her in. I'm like, what's going on? Well, I learn I learn that her husband who passed left her nothing. Mm. She had two young daughters. She was working two jobs. So she was coming to us at 8:30 until 5, 5:30. She was then going off and waitering at night uh, until almost midnight. Um, she had she was unable to pay her bills. He left a whole bunch of debt. So she was about to lose her house. She was about to be. So here she is. Here I am in a wealth management firm looking after clients of ultra high net worth uh, and high net worth uh, values. So we're helping them think through what their estate planning looks like. That's our business. Help clients figure out what it looks like at the back end. Um, and here's this beautiful woman who's struggling, who didn't share it. And I found out. So my immediate response was, we're going to solve this. I want you to quit your other job. I'm going to pay you the difference in salary. You're going to commit back to us. I took it to the board first. I took it to the chairman and the board and the four founders. I said, here's our problem. She's about to lose her house. She's about to lose her car. Her kids are going to be living up. They're going to be living somewhere weird and maybe dangerous. We need to keep her in the house. We need to help solve the problem with debt. And we, and they were like, yep. Boom. 48 hours later, she was debt free. She was debt free. She had a higher salary, but in, in exchange, we just said, "You can't. You gotta love us forever. You can't leave us, right?" Man, 
You can't, you gotta love us. We're gonna love you. You just gotta just to, don't don't. And she was, she still talks about it. Tim, I got chills. I just got chills running down when you said that, man. That's an amazing story. Thank you. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know, um, I don't know. It's just one. It's a small data point in a very big conversation around yeah. how you bring mindfulness and conscious leadership into a into a business. Consciousness yeah. is really, really missing sometimes. I think in today's world. Maybe that's part of your next job to do that as well. <laughs> the next job in your job. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, hey, before we wrap this up here, I have, I have two questions for you. And we talked about transition, you know, you, the Baltimore to Australia thing. We didn't talk. We really didn't talk transition into the family life, but we know you, you, you did that. And then you, it's a leadership role back to Maryland or back to Baltimore. Yep. And, and, and then you're in the, your late fifties, you getting ready. You say, which you don't know really what's around the corner. You start thinking about that. Do you ever think about the transition into the next life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yes. Yeah, I got four kids. I have four kids and, and one, you know, the youngest is, is a senior in high school and the other one's a sophomore in, in, in college, junior in college, actually. Um, and that whole world now, sadly, they don't see the, they don't see the, they, <laughs> no matter how hard I've tried as a, as a, as a good old Catholic boy to raise my family in a, in, a, in that, I think COVID did a lot to kill church and kill, kill that routine. Yeah. Um, and then you get, you bring in things like Marvel with all these multiple universes and so forth. These young kids today, I mean, this whole UFO thing that's going on at the moment, I mean, they bought, they're all bought in, right? Yeah. <laughs> bought in. So it's, it's hard for me to see and look out. Uh, with a lot of uh, a lot of Christian hope to the this next generation, this down below that, that says, you know, the Almighty is right with you, man, and uh, and He's whispering to you because you know He's there, um, but you keep turning away. So it's hard for me to see what's going on when I look down. But for me personally, um, yeah, God gave me certain tools and gifts. Um, I'm just trying to use them the best I can. And uh, I can only hope, I can only hope with all the crap that I did in my life and all the dumb decisions I've made in my life that he'll forgive those <laughs> through the pearly gates. And I promise I won't go to the great building. <laughs> I was going to ask about the great building. Great answer. I love that. I love that. So last question for you, Jim, before we wrap up here. Is, yep. I, I, I kind of alluded it already, but how much more chiseling did Jim DiCarlo got coming in his life? Oh, he's got a lot. He's got a lot. He really does. Um, yeah, yeah, I think we're always evolving. We're, I think we're always evolving. And I think we the, yeah, being aware of that is really important. Um, I, I'm studying Italian right now. Thumbs up, baby. <laughs> yep. Um, I am. Uh, yep. I am. Um, I'm doing a course. I got just just engaged an executive coach as well to to work with me on on some areas that I know I've got blind spots in even today as a, as a, as a leader. So I've got an executive coach that is working with me and it's neat. You know, he's a 31 year old Yale football graduate with a degree in, you know, emotional intelligence, phenomenal experience. I'm seeing the world of me through his lens as a young man. Perfect for me. Right. Cause I'm, I want to see, I want to understand, uh, emotionally, how I show up when when I'm with someone like that who knows me now raw, right? Yeah, that so is that's great. Kind of, 
Yeah, that's that's been that's been a neat journey. Um, I, I I think my next chapter is going to be a whole lot bigger than what I've been doing up until now. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I think God gives takes us to a point, and then He says, "Do you smell it? Do you see it? Do you understand it? Because if so, I'll open the gates again." And I think that's what's that's that's what's coming next for me. That's good stuff, Jim. Thank you. For, thank you for blessing us today with your experience through all your transitions and and your hope for the future, hope for the next the next piece, next phase of your life, Thanks, and uh, and the leadership that you've you've demonstrated for everybody. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, is there a way to get a hold of you, Jim? I uh, look. I'm not a big Facebook guy. Uh, I am on Instagram, but that's JDC two one two two, and I am on uh, on LinkedIn. So they could find me on LinkedIn and read all the basic stuff there. But uh, you know, that's what I am, not who I am. There you go. Good stuff. Well, Jim, thank you again. I'm really honored and, and humbled that you came on and chatted with me for the last uh, 40, 45 minutes. It's been good. Thanks for having me, bro. And, and uh, it's been awesome. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, everybody, let's go get chiseled. You just got chiseled with Rock on Be sure to like this podcast, share it with your friends, and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Also, you can find Rob's book on Amazon, Better Than Equal.